This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. What are the key federal IT priorities? What are the cyber challenges facing the U.S. federal government? And how is the U.S. federal government driving digital transformation across the federal enterprise? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Claire Martirana. Federal Chief Information Officer and Administrator of the Office of Electronic Government within the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. Claire, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks so much, Michael. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So I'd like to start off before we get into a number of the initiatives you you are pursuing to talk about the mission of your office. How is it organized? How does it fit into the overall structure of the Office of Management and Budget, OMB? Thanks for that question. Um, We are in the Office of Management and Budget is part of the Executive Office of the President. Um, And for those not familiar with OMB, we exercise the budgetary management, regulatory, and information policy oversight for the entire federal government on behalf of the President. So the Office of the Chief Information Officer inside of OMB, um, we are responsible for the technical planning, policy, and budget oversight for the, you know, more than a $100 billion federal IT budget. You know, Claire, I'd like to transition to your role as the federal CIO. What are your duties, responsibilities? Perhaps you can share with us your portfolio and give people a sense of what a week in the life of the federal CIO is like. It's a busy week. Um, Working across our teams, uh, we focus on uh, providing strategic direction and oversight to agencies, you know, helping them adopt and advance modern and secure IT services. So a, a week looks like us focusing and working within our OMB environment with our budget colleagues, with our management colleagues. Uh, the office of the federal CIO sits inside of the management side of the office of management and budget. We work closely with the director's office, the deputy director for management, Jason Miller, who is, is my um, boss, um, and uh, other partners like the office of the national cyber director and technology partners across the government, like the United States Digital Service and um, our colleagues over at GSA, for example. So we're really a tech policy office, but we've really focused um, during this administration, making sure that our policy work is excellent, because if the policy doesn't work, the technology is not going to work. And it's really critical that we are clearly communicating and setting direction for our agency CIOs and CISOs to help them be more effective in their roles. That's wonderful. That's a great context. And I, I like the idea of the, techno- the technology policy aspect to it for folks who may not be familiar with that. So given your portfolio, uh, Claire, what are your top challenges, maybe three or however many you want to share with us, that you face in your position? And 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 more importantly, how have you sought to address some of those challenges? 
Yeah, there are numerous challenges for technology teams all across government, but starting with the most foundational item, I think is really cybersecurity. It's priority number one. Um, and cybersecurity is really the foundation that enables agencies to focus on their mission, right? Um, and that could include things like retiring legacy IT, launching new technology that is secure by design, um, it is really a complicated area, but we have extraordinary coordination and collaboration among um, our cybersecurity colleagues. Again, at the Office of the National Cyber Director, uh, DHS's CISA, we are in daily communication with these teams, making sure that we are really supporting agency CIOs and CISOs. And, you know, the way that I think about this is, Technology powers our ability to deliver modern government to the American people, right? That That is, you know, full stop. We've all evolved to the place where people are much more familiar interacting with technology, anything from our mobile devices, you know, to all of our computers and the way that we navigate our lives. So we're focused, on, in addition to cybersecurity, um, and focusing on the cybersecurity executive order that went out um, a year ago, May, we also launched a customer experience executive order, um, which is really meaningful for making sure that we're delivering the best services to the American public that we possibly can. We've also, as an addition to the cybersecurity executive order, we've published numerous memos to actually help teams at agencies do the uh, tactical implementation work that they need to do. And that also includes our zero trust strategy um, that we published out after getting public comment. So I think the portfolio really is foundationally focused on cybersecurity, making sure that our systems are safe, secure, and accessible, and then making sure that the tools and services that we design and build from here out are secure by design within that zero trust framework and really focused on the delivery to the end customer, whether that's a member of the public or it could also be a federal employee who's using a system to do their job. So we kind of think of ourselves as the center of that whole uh, stream of activities to really help um, federal agencies uh, support their missions. Uh, what has really surprised me in my time in government, and oftentimes this was the same in the private sector, the challenges are not always hard from a technical standpoint, that we are not don't have a complex technical problem that is confounding all of the engineers and no one can create a path forward. I really think that um, some of the most important um, technology problems that we are dealing facing today, you know, from the adoption of artificial intelligence or quantum computing is really focused on making sure that we are fostering an environment where our technology workforce can continue to learn, be trained, and have opportunities to work on these more modern technologies. That's important. You know, since taking your role, um, Claire, what has surprised you most? You're, you're, you're not new to the federal IT world and ecosystem. So what has surprised you? I'd say the continued complexity 
of the operating environment, right, is really always surprises me is it is not as simple as, you know, deciding that there's a problem and rallying around a singular solution. I think that there's a lot of um, complexity in the way that we procure our services, the way that we partner with our vendors and contracting partners, the way that we are budgeted to move out on this work, which is oftentimes multiple years worth of work. So I think that that continues to surprise me that it's a complicated um, operating environment. I think additionally, um, what has surprised me even more is how much incredible innovation is already going on across the federal enterprise, right? Not not just on um, agency teams, but within communities of practice um, and really making sure that we are sharing best practices and insights with each other uh, has surprised me with the enormous collaboration and collegial nature of this community. That's terrific. So, Claire, would you tell us a little bit more about your career path um, for our listeners? What brought you to your current leadership role? I uh, had a wonderful career in the private sector and never really thought about government. Um, I read an article uh, in Wired magazine about President Obama's tech team and said, holy cow, that sounds really fascinating. I wonder if that could be something that I might think about doing. So I applied to the United States Digital Service and um, went through a rigorous interview process, which is their norm, and was offered an opportunity to join. And within my first day, wound up being deployed over to the Department of Veterans Affairs. So um, USDS was my entry point into government. Um, as I completed some work, uh, we were working with the Department of Veterans Affairs on a um, significant digital modernization journey that the agency is still undergoing. And they are really leading in so many ways um, in delivering improved digital services to veterans, caregivers, and their families. But then I was offered an opportunity um, to stay in government and become the CIO of the Office of Personnel Management um, and that has uh, kept me involved here. And then, you know, once you come and start serving um, at this level, you realize the incredible impact that you can have on millions of people's lives. And so scaling that back into the private sector, while the companies that I, I had the great privilege to work at um, in my private sector career, we had, you know, millions, if not hundreds of millions of monthly unique users using our services. But we were really, you know, revenue driven. And here being able to be focused on being mission driven um, makes it a little bit hard to leave. So I was honored to be asked to serve as federal CIO. And it feels like my journey uh, in government um, continues uh, serving in this role. I'm glad you brought up the fact that you had a career in the public sector. And I'm wondering, given your your background in the public sector, Claire, as well as your your journey in federal service, whether it be at OPM or VA um, and now as the federal CIO, what are your leadership principles that you rely on and, and what makes one an effective leader? I think that's kind of simple. Um, it's listening. 
right? It's listening to the people that have the subject matter expertise or are really bringing a challenge forward. And then really trying to use your leadership skills to ask what the problem is that they're trying to solve, right? It's it's kind of that simple. People are bringing things to you. You want to make sure that you're listening very deliberately to what their challenges are. And then trying to refine the problem that they are trying to solve and then convening and bringing all the right people together um, to support that process. And then candidly, in many cases, it's getting out of the way, you know, um, so that these teams can work effectively together or sometimes it's actually stepping in and doing some blocking and tackling to help the team you know, towards the success that they are are attempting um, to create. And I think one other thing I would add kind of in the leadership realm is really, um, I was taught by some really incredible mentors that um, this is really about servant leadership. This is about me making sure that I am the best leader I can possibly be to help all of the people that have the good fortune to lead um, be the best that they can be. So it is really more about helping build teams, helping build the team's capabilities, helping people with their career development to make sure that you can support them so that they can do the hard work that is needed every single day. What are the key federal IT priorities? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. This is the Center of This Week, highlighting the latest trends and best practices for improving government effectiveness, brought to you by the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I'm Michael Keegan, Leadership Fellow at the Center and host of its weekly interview program, the Business of Government Hour. The Center of This Week is our opportunity to inform and most importantly, to invite you, our listeners, to use the Center as a how-to resource for improving government effectiveness at the state, local, and federal levels. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Bachner, author of the IBM Center Report, Optimizing Analytics for Policymaking and Governance. So, Jen, what is government analytics and what purpose does it serve? Well, government analytics is the use of quantitative methods by public sector organizations, as well as government adjacent organizations, to develop insights and actionable recommendations from data. And the purpose of government analytics is to help public agencies better advance their missions through better decision-making. So overall, government analytics is the development of exactly the sort of information identified in the Evidence Act as being essential to sound policymaking. That's terrific. So as a follow-up, you point out in your report that a data strategy that focuses on the end goal has proven to be more effective if it also benefits from backward thinking. I'm wondering if you can explain that insight and perhaps highlight agencies that have followed such a model or approach. Yes. Well, at the beginning of the data boom, which people say was around the early 2000s, the focus was on collecting data. And this was when hardware could finally handle storing and analyzing large data sets. And as the Internet of Things has developed over the past two decades, data collection has become easier and easier since so many of our devices can now collect and store and transmit data. This includes our phones, tablets, cars. So everyone wanted to collect data and not a lot of thought was given to whether that data would be useful. 
Now, however, that data has become so much easier to collect. And as there are so many data collection tools and processes in place, analysts have started thinking more about how they can use the data that is available, and they are spending less time thinking about what new data they can collect and how to collect it. So in government agencies, analysts are now adopting a backwards thinking model, meaning they're focusing on the end user of any new data-related project rather than focusing primarily on just the data collection piece. Maybe the agency already has data um, that can answer a question at hand, or and maybe that data just needs to be reformatted or merged with data from another agency. So analysts are appropriately giving more thought to the substantive questions that need answering and who will use the analytic outputs rather than focusing on collecting more and more data in and of itself. And this has been a guiding principle at many of the agencies that have presented at our Government Analytics Breakfast Forum. Leaders at the CFPB um, emphasized this. This is, of course, a relatively new agency, and they've been careful to design their analytics unit as one that supports the substantive needs of the agency. When they think about new projects, they are highly focused on ones that are feasible, that are sustainable and valuable in terms of mission alignment. For example, one of the big projects at the organization was to develop a self-service business intelligent platform that allows employees to access data and tools directly. The CFPB is currently working now on a cloud computing strategy so that they can supplement this business intelligence platform with AI and machine learning tools that will also be accessible to employees across the Bureau. Yeah, you mentioned in your report, which I thought was very important, the the critical importance of leadership buy-in uh, to the success of any government analytics effort. And I'm wondering, in your research, do you have any suggestions uh, on how best to obtain that leadership buy-in? Absolutely. It can certainly seem daunting to secure buy-in from agency leaders who are experienced with decision-making using alternative approaches. But there are several ways that analytics leaders can make a strong case. First, they can directly address the concerns and the hesitations expressed by senior leaders. But analytical leaders can explain that an increased reliance on analytics for decision-making is, as one of the experts I spoke with put it, it's an evolution, not a revolution. Data-driven decision-making is not a 180-degree turn away from other approaches, but it's actually a supplement to other methods. And decision-makers should be invited to approach analytics with the same skepticism that they would apply to any other information. Second, analytics leaders can help secure buy-in by delivering analytic findings in a timely manner. In other words, they should get relevant results to the right people well before a decision needs to be made because this gives leaders time to digest that information and ask any questions that they have. It reduces pressure and it increases trust. And third, analytics leaders should work to build bridges between agency leaders and junior staff. And they should highlight the value of each. Agency leaders are needed to set a vision for the organization. They're the ones who identify the key questions that need answering. Junior staff, on the other hand, are typically most up-to-date on the best tools and methods that can be used to answer these key questions. So agency leaders can provide strategic guidance while junior staff can highlight what is possible to learn using analytic tools and techniques. So ensuring that everyone appreciates the value that others bring to the analytic process can help establish a culture in which data-driven decision-making thrives. For the IBM Center for the Business of Government, I'm Michael Keegan, and this has been the center this week. 
To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Claire Martirana, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. So, Claire, you've pointed out in, in your in your discussions and presentations as 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 the federal CIO that modern information technology functions as the backbone of how government today serves the public in a digital age. I'm wondering if you could highlight for us your key IT priorities for the administration across the federal government. And and how does the federal IT operating plan factor in to realizing this vision, help shape it, inform it, and achieve your IT strategy? Well, bolstering cybersecurity, you'll continue to hear me foot stomp, is, is mission critical, job one. Also, modernizing our IT. We have a lot of legacy systems in government, and we are on a journey to continue to modernize our entire enterprise IT. Um, improving customer experience, very critical, making sure that we're meeting the expectations of the American public, who, especially during COVID, have learned that digital interactions can be safe, seamless, and secure, and they want that from their government. And then I think the, the fourth component is really securing and using our data as a strategic asset. That is absolutely critical because we provide the government with data about us in order to complete a task or engage in a service. And we oftentimes ask repetitive questions in silos. And I think that we all recognize that we can do better both securing that data and making sure that we can deliver better digital programs by understanding the data we already have and helping someone make a more informed decision or take a path forward. The IT operating plan was really important for us to bring the technology teams together at the center of government, the United States Digital Service, our colleagues at GSA, um, and the Office of the Federal CIO, together to talk about how we work independently, how we work with each other, how we support each other, and, and, and really importantly, how we drive impact from the center to best help agencies and technology teams across government deliver their success for their own missions. 
That's terrific. You know, and you kind of alluded to it, uh, Claire, but I was wondering if you could delve a little deeper as a follow up. Are there specific internal drivers and or external trends that kind of shape and inform how IT is done in the federal space? Absolutely. I have a couple great examples. So internally, we're working as a team across the Office of Management and Budget with our budget colleagues, uh, with our management colleagues, as well as with the Office of the National Cyber Director. That is a new office that was stood up this year. And through um, uh, Director Shalanda Young's leadership, uh, working with the National Cyber Director, um, Director Inglis, We've had tremendous support in getting agencies to a firm foundation on cybersecurity. So in July, this is, I I think, an extraordinary example. Director Young and Director Inglis issued Memorandum 2216, which is outlining the administration's cybersecurity priorities for our FY24 budget, which is we are completing those tasks right now. And the goal of that was to make the right investments at the right time to secure agencies' technology and place them on a really sustainable path to IT modernization. And that is really a path that will span from fiscal year to fiscal year and and from administration to administration. So that, I think, is a really great internal um, example of the way that we are all convening across government to make sure that we're being the best stewards of taxpayer dollars and that we're able to continue using this framework to build trust with agencies and our key stakeholders like Congress to make sure that we are delivering effectively with the money entrusted to us and showing agencies that we are working together on their behalf um, collaboratively, and that we will together be able to tell stories about what we're improving, how we're improving, you know, delivery to the customer or the constituent. They're the same people. Um, they are the American public that we work hard for every day. That's great. And you, you mentioned throughout, um, you know, my next question is around cyber, because I want to get into a little bit more of the cyber challenges. And, you know, uh, it, it's an important thing. It kind of undergirds everything we do. The, the 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 whole system and the infrastructure needs to be secure in order to operate. So, you know, Claire, what are the key cyber challenges facing U.S. federal agencies and how are you working to address these challenges and to mitigate the risk and impact of threats to data systems and networks? This is the number one team sport that we are participating in, Um, along with the Office of the National Cyber Director, CISA, uh, NSC, NSA, right? There is a, a multitude of acronyms with all of our efforts focused on cybersecurity. So at at the highest level, we're really architected a new model for cybersecurity across the federal government. You know, we're in a unique threat environment. Our adversaries are pointing an enormous amount of resources at us, at particular federal agencies, and they, frankly, the whole federal enterprise. So it is really critically important that we work like a team to make sure that cyber defense is our singular goal. And we're also working to make sure um, at individual agencies that we're keeping, um, you know, Americans 
information confidential, that we're preserving data integrity, that we're um, remaining accessible and resilient to these nation state attacks. But in a lot of ways, it really does require us to work and think differently, to deploy new technology, and very importantly, to adopt new mindsets. We cannot keep operating the way that we were previously operating and expect that we're going to have any different outcomes. So, you know, we published the zero trust strategy. Um, We made sure that prior to publishing it, that we took a period for public comment um, to make it better, right? We cannot do the work that we all do without our private sector partners, without academics and researchers that are spending every day focused on these areas. So we believe that the zero trust strategy was really showed how the federal government was leaning forward and leading in this area. Um, And we are also working very hard to make sure that we are cascading this message to all levels of the workforce. This requires senior leadership that is assuming you know, responsibility for the cybersecurity posture of their agencies, as well as building staff capabilities and technology solutions and architecture and budget and investment to meet today and tomorrow's challenges, um, and most importantly, delivering impact. So I'd say that, again, team sport, we're all working together collaboratively, but it is going to take the workforce really embracing this wholesale change in um, never trust, always verify, um, as the new method at which we have to think about securing our missions. So, Claire, would you tell us more? about your efforts to scale or the efforts being conducted to scale, modernize IT across federal agencies and make sure that it enables the government to successfully adapt to the constantly evolving digital landscape we find ourselves in. One of the things I think that is very important to recognize is that through the communities of practice, CIO and CISO councils, We are working together every single day, sharing playbooks, innovative best practices. No one in the federal government, no matter how small the agency, should be starting with a blank piece of paper. That is how we are going to help scale and modernize IT across federal agencies. So we are building very significant partnerships, um, building on work that had been done previously and continuing to grow partnerships Uh, with our budget colleagues, making sure we're making the right investments at the right time, that we're also sharing and inspiring the federal workforce, right? Doing, you know, demo days and communicating with key stakeholders, how modern human-centered design delivers great products and services um, and provides great return on investment, which is a really important part of what we do. So, I have a couple examples that I, I really have been inspired by. You know, one is um, the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, mobile app, um, right? Most of the American public uses a mobile device uh, pretty frequently, if not daily. Um, and we're used to getting access to goods and services. So veterans now can use the VA app to locate facilities. They can view and cancel appointments. 
They can securely message their doctors, access the Veterans Crisis Line, and they also get to use some of the um, native technology in the mobile device, right? So, you know, geolocating, so looking up something and then having to write down the address and then look up the address when you're in the car um, isn't quite as fluid as being able to look up the address on your mobile device and have it move immediately into geolocating in a map and getting you on your way to your appointment or, or uh, service. So that uh, things that VA is doing, I think so far, they have a 4.7 or 8 ranking on the um, app stores. Um, and I think uh, close to a million veterans are using the app right now. And to me, that is a great story that can be shared with multiple other agencies that are also delivering benefits to the public um, on how they went about doing this, what contracting vehicles they used, how they budgeted for it. So again, trying to help agencies not start at a blank piece of paper, but really leverage some of the key learnings that we have had um, across the government. Claire, the Technology Modernization Fund, TMF, has seen tremendous demand after the $1 billion appropriation through the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, would you give us an update on the fund? Uh, what are the strengths of TMF? And looking ahead, what are the aims of the fund? And are there any ready-to-go projects you'd like to highlight? This is one of my absolute favorite topics because TMF was a great program prior to the American Rescue Plan. But what we've really been able to do with the influx of the billion dollars is to really meet the need today. And, and today's need is based on speed and dealing with some of these, you know, exigent threats that we discussed previously. So many large scale IT investments fail. Right. They are multi-year uh, projects that that go out. Um, and by the time you get the funding and contracting vehicles in place, oftentimes things change, possibly staffing changes. So we know from private sector that there are better ways to actually build technology faster, doing things like building minimally viable projects. Um, launching something and being able to test with your users immediately rather than doing these very large-scale implementations. So TMF is really a champion of this. We've played a significant role, you know, vetting very large-scale proposals from a technical standpoint to make sure that they will be successful if they have to be large and multi-year and really trying to focus on reducing the failure rate so that we don't waste taxpayers' money and we don't waste agencies' time um, away from their mission. So the fund is currently managing over $600 million. Uh, I think we have 33 investments at 18 different federal agencies. Um, one of the really important things that TMF has done, it's given us a real purview into the federal landscape. So we've received and reviewed over 220 proposals, totaling over three and a half billion dollars of funding demand. So what's been great about that is it gives us a really good idea of what the modernization challenges are at agencies. 
And oftentimes we have multiple agencies trying to solve similar problems. So we are also doing things like matching people up, building communities of practice so that we can all run fast together and learn from the successes and occasional failures so that we don't repeat them. So it has been having technologists upfront in the process and having us manage these programs on a quarterly basis. Everybody who gets a TMF investment has to come back every quarter and report out to the board how they're doing, where they're running into challenges, Oftentimes they have a problem that they're trying to solve that someone on the board has either solved or knows someone that they can connect the program team to, to be able to accelerate that um, solutioning. So I'm excited about TMF. We didn't have any instant projects that we were able to pour TMF on and they blossomed in a minute, but you are going to see consistent um, feedback over time that by having technologists up front by methodically managing these programs with technology experts in government along the way, we will drive down the failure rate and improve outcomes. Full stop. And I'm excited about that. That's excellent. And the foundation's there and the resources are there. So that sounds great. So, you know, we've been talking about the digital landscape, Claire. So what's the administration's digital strategy? And perhaps you can give us a glimpse into some of the key priorities in this area? Yeah, you know, from a digital perspective, really customer experience and a component of the customer experience executive order um, that we call life experiences um, are a really good example. So, you know, that President Biden says you shouldn't have to know how to know. Right? You shouldn't have to know the name of an agency that does a thing when you are in need and need to reach out. So we recognize that customers, uh, you know, an example is a, a hurricane. You know, Hurricane Ian's a great example. Customers shouldn't have to search for usernames and passwords and that piece of paper that they had stuck to their computer when possibly their computer is gone because their home is gone. We recognize where they are and we are trying to figure out how to help them from the moment that they need um, support from a federal agency and helping them transit multiple agencies, I think is a really good example of this administration's digital strategy in trying to help people, you know, meeting them where they are, understanding their exact needs, providing additional services and support that they might not be aware that they are eligible for, helping to guide them from place to place, um, and making sure, sure that they're able to focus on recovering and taking care of their own families. But we also do recognize digital strategy and digital experience is one component. So I said something that I, I would like to foot stomp a little bit. We have to meet people where they are, right? So we have to always focus on an omni-channel experience, right? We can't expect that everyone is, wants to use a mobile phone or has access to a mobile phone to be able to access a benefit or service. So we do recognize that some people might want to call a call center. Some people are going to have challenges um, and want to fill out a form and mail it back. 
we recognize that people are broad and across that entire spectrum, but we also do know that really good digital services can actually take an enormous amount of volume out of the system, allowing people that need more help and more bespoke help from our dedicated federal workforce to maybe pick up that phone at a call center and answer their questions rather than expecting them to go on that journey strictly in a digital method. But we do have many, many people, um, especially digital natives, who pretty much want to do everything digitally. And we have to be able to focus. um, And that has been a very key priority of the Biden-Harris administration. You know, as a follow-up, I I want to dig a little deeper into the customer experience. What is being done, Claire, to establish that uh, sort of a mindset culture across federal government um, agencies who provide services to make sure and ensure that they are, you know, the structures there, the consistency there, sort of a no wrong door kind of concept. And and perhaps more importantly, you could kind of give us a sense of the journey mapping that you're doing around specific customer experiences um, and, and how to make sure that agencies are meeting today's customer expectations. Yeah, President Biden um, is the customer experience cheerleader in chief, right? He states constantly that the American people deserve a government that works for them, right? You shouldn't have to know how to know how to interact with our government to get information, benefits, or services. So in uh, having the president actually launch and sign a customer experience executive order really puts this at the focus of every single agency. And what's exciting to me about this is, you know, technology is really the upstream part of this, right? We're making sure that um, we are engaging the entire C-suite on this effort. The President's Management Council has also um, chosen components of customer experience and the federal workforce um, as ways to also bring to bear other tools that the federal government has for us to focus on customer experience. And because those senior leaders at all of these agencies are responsible for their agency's security posture, They also are helping us really to modernize our IT to deliver better customer experience. So giving technologists a seat at the table, giving them a voice in the room is really important to this. And, you know, technology is really upstream of this. And we are also focused on the downstream, which is performance management and making sure that we're driving impact. But to your question specifically about journey mapping, it's really important for people to understand, especially senior leaders at agencies who have so many demands on them, that aligning leaders and employees around who they're serving is really critical. You know, employees will come and go and journey mapping provides consistency you know, this is who we are, this is who we're serving, um, This is these are the points on our customer journey, and these are the critical moments that matter to our customers, is a really important rubric for all of us to have as federal leaders to make sure that we are providing that consistency to our employees and to the people that we serve. 
And I think this also not only inspires the federal workforce, um, it inspires other people to come and join us, including many of our private sector vendor partners, right? The contractors that are here doing so much important work on behalf of the federal government, having a journey map that is a true north of who the agency is, who the agency is serving, and how the technology and tools need to serve the public, I think is a unifying principle um, for all of those stakeholder groups that work hard every day on behalf of the American people. How is the U.S. federal government driving digital transformation across the federal enterprise? I'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Claire Martirana, Federal Chief Information Officer within the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. Now, Claire, what is happening in cloud computing across the federal enterprise? Are there any anticipated changes to the cloud smart strategy? And what does it do to accelerate the migration and use of cloud amongst the federal agencies? Yeah, cloud has been a really significant um, component, you know, building on the cloud first strategy the Obama administration launched in 2011, followed by, you know, cloud smart released in 2019 by the Trump administration. Our federal cloud strategy really is focused on um, making sure that we are adopting uh, cloud services in the most strategic way possible. Um, we are also really focused on making sure that we are doing the hard work about moving to the cloud, which is not, let's just put everything we already do in the cloud automagically and things will be different. It requires us to rethink our business processes, right? Utilizing this new technology, um, you have to, you know, rationalize the applications that you are thinking of moving to the cloud and really thinking through your business processes to make sure that they're using this technology um, to the highest order possible. So it's requiring agencies to think about cloud adoption holistically, how we, you know, the workforce comes along on this journey, how our procurement colleagues and our security colleagues come along on this journey with us, and and frankly, how we operate and move into a DevSecOps mode of operating and, and building software and launching it in the cloud. 
So to me, it's really exciting to see agencies, but many of them are on very different parts of their cloud journey. Some are very far ahead and some of them are just beginning. That, that's terrific insight. Um, you know, I want to transition from cloud to uh, getting a sense from your vantage point, how are federal agencies leveraging shared services solutions and, and the models as an integral part of their IT modernization journey? Yeah, shared services and and uh, you know products infrastructure um, really can help us create streamlined, consistent customer experiences across multiple government programs and services, and we can really benefit from the economies of scale um, that shared services provide us. So I continue to be a real champion of shared services. But the shared services also have to be invested in, in order for us to provide excellent shared services that meet every agency's need. And um, I will continue to be a champion of making sure that we're investing the right amount of money into those shared services to really, you know, benefit from those economies that we can deliver um, by using shared services. And again, not having uh, every agency have to start from a blank piece of paper. That's wonderful. You know, Claire, you often mention that data is a strategic federal asset. And, you know, the use of data is transforming society, businesses, and the economy. I'm wondering, to that end, how has the federal data strategy thus far helped agencies apply discipline to the use of data so they deliver more effective on their mission, service customers, and be good stewards of resources? Yeah, by leveraging the full value of data, right, coupled with having access to available accurate and actionable data, right? Not all data is created equal. Um, as uh, an example, uh, at an agency that I spend a little bit of time at, um, they, I believe at one point we did an inventory and we had 17 different ways to for a customer to provide us address information, right? And, and so making sure that it's available that it's accurate and it's actionable data, really, really critical part of this. Um, but we can create real efficiencies across government and deliver you know, more effective services for the American people by leveraging the full value of our data. So uh, you know, the central premise of the federal data strategy is to make sure that federal agencies are best positioned with strategic guidance and direction about leveraging data as an asset for decision making, you know, across their entire um, agency. So I, I am a fan of the federal data strategy. I think we will continue to evolve it. Um, it has really helped, uh, you know, create and sustain things like the Chief Data Officers Council, um, you know, enabling data leaders to collaborate and build those um, resources that are needed to reach across really diverse missions and initiatives and needs. And then I think it's also been very effective in guiding agencies in foundational activities like data governance and planning um, and, and infrastructure uh, that agencies need so that they're best positioned to coordinate data strategies at an enterprise level um, across their agency, not just at a program level, which I think is also quite important. That is very important. You know, we've seen the surge, um, Claire, in the use of 
uh, robotic process automation, RPA, and you know, intelligent automation. I'm wondering uh, what emerging technologies issues will we anticipate in the near future? And more importantly, what emerging technologies do you believe um, offer the most significant benefit over the long term? Well, it's a really exciting question because some of these emerging technologies, um, the United States government is leading in, and it's really exciting um, to be exposed to some of that work. So very recently, I visited a National Science Foundation and NIST Quantum Lab. Um, Talk about forward-leaning, right? They are thinking 15, 20 years into the future. Um, and it's just exciting to see such exceptional um, uh, efforts uh, driving innovation across the federal enterprise. So we have experts that are on the cutting edge of research. Um, and it's my job to make sure that we're plugged into that and learning from that. So we still have lots of um, challenges in the federal government, but I think when you see areas where there's such extraordinary innovation um, and sharing of that innovation across uh, multiple agencies, it's really inspiring. So um, I am paying, you know, attention to trends like everyone else, you know, um, artificial intelligence, everything related to machine learning, you know, automated solutions. I also have some friends in the geospatial space that I am always uh, so impressed and enthused by geospatial data and what they're accomplishing. Um, even the other areas like language advances, right? There's so much sophistication now where certain tools are able to translate into hundreds, if not more than a thousand languages, um, which means that we will be able to really customize experiences for people when English might not be their first language. Uh, you know, Claire, developing and reskilling the, the federal IT workforce for the future happens now. And in a sense, the future is now. So what more can be done to um, in this area of reskilling and training? And are there specific skills you believe will be especially needed for the success of, of, the, of federal IT in the future? A absolutely. You know, we, we struggle here a little bit, you know, uh, under 8% of the federal workforce is under the age of 30, right? We're missing a lot of digital natives in our workforce. And um, I think that we have to continue to focus on inspiring people to want to come and join the federal government, right? Um, I think that is a key thing that I think about on a daily basis. But there are groups and there is really exciting work going on related to the workforce. Um, the Office of the National Cyber Director working um, uh, with the cross-functional uh, team at the Office of Management and Budget is doing some really great uh, cyber talent hiring. There are lots of activities going on in um, with NASA and the National Science Foundation are doing some really good STEM workforce efforts. Um, the CIO Council, we focus constantly on reskilling and training, sharing best practices. Um, we are trying to do things like, you know, sharing uh, position descriptions and certifications for hiring so that if one agency is doing a lot of work, that multiple agencies can benefit from it. But I think specifically to um, skills, we do need to shift a bit from a 
project management skill set, which is, you know, keeping things on task and on budget and meeting deadlines, very, very critical component. But I really think in a digital world, we have to think more in a product mindset is how are we understanding the business challenges? How are we understanding the customer challenges? And how are we understanding the technology challenges and opportunity? And so a product mindset is really an evolution in the way that we're going to deliver better digital tools and services. I also think one other thing to add is um, there are wonderful communities of practice across government where so much learning and sharing happens by people closest to the work. So we really try to bring those people together and make sure that we are uh, facilitating some of the sharing of these really important workforce efforts in retraining, upskilling, and making sure that the federal employees have access to some of these really innovative um, opportunities to learn. You know, Claire, what advice would you give someone who is considering a career in public service? You have to do it. It is absolutely the most life-changing experience that you will have. I've worked in lots and lots of different private sector companies, and I have never been able to have the impact on millions of lives that I have been able to have starting out at the U.S. Digital Service at the VA, right? Helping millions of veterans get access to better care. So the people that you care about in your life, um, you will be able to come into government and help them, your friends, your neighbors, your families. And you'll never be the same by having this opportunity to serve the American people by taking a stint in government service. I highly recommend it. That's wonderful, Claire. Claire, I want to thank you for coming on today and being with us and taking time out of your busy schedule. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed this and look forward to our next conversation. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Claire Martirana, Federal Chief Information Officer and Administrator of the Office of Electronic Government within the Office of Management and Budget, OMB. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government technology and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.